0: thanks for joining us here on city state radio we've been um, been away for a minute but uh we're back we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do these podcasts one way or another i'll tell you that my name's uh uh, pat smith thanks so much for uh for checking us out uh i got the other patrick's on the line here what's going on you guys
1: hey hey patrick henry from the burbs
2: back in the burbs patrick puma from the urban design studio downtown
0: uh, so so good to have uh, have the have the crew back, have the all the Patricks back, um, man. We just dive in. We got a lot to cover here in a bit. We're going to hear from um, Chris Wederick uh, from Cincinnati Business First, or sorry, Cincinnati Business Courier, um, talking about the um, the really interesting sale of their musical railway um, that's been proposed. Um, and then um, after that, we've got uh, our friend uh, Brian Boland um, coming in, also from the Cincinnati, Greater Cincinnati area. Uh, talking about some uh, alternative sort of proposals and in, and in, in thinking about uh, what could be done about a major transportation uh, project that's been proposed there, the whole bridge Spence um, bridge, sorry Brent Spence bridge situation, um, and in all of the sort of changes that that means for Northern Kentucky, Covington and and Cincinnati. And could that be done better? A little bit of reminiscence back to a 86, 64 there in terms of, you know, what could the city be like versus are we just going to build a giant, enormous, super wide bridge platform? Um, But anyway, there was something I wanted to get to first, a little bit of crazy news uh, for Louisville um, that that came out. uh, Gosh, I guess late last week. What was that? Last Thursday? There was this proposal that sort of took over Twitter for a minute. And it, it's it's sort of people were I guess a little bit blown away. The, 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 the announcement came from um Ryan Quarles, who's the Kentucky Agricultural Agriculture Commissioner, and I guess also a uh, you know a main member of the Kentucky State Fair Board, talking about as a part of a, a plan for the renovation of the kentucky exposition center kind of here in the, the the uh south part of the city of louisville uh where a lot of stuff goes down a lot of a lot of, a lot of things happen uh, mainly of which i guess the state fair is there uh, but a whole bunch of other events it's kind of where kentucky kingdom and hurricane bay the amusement parks are it's, it's kind of central place in town where a lot of big stuff happens anyway this fan, <laughs> Ryan Quarles and members of the Fair Board it, out in front of, uh, I guess, the committee of, of state government uh, as a part of this major multi-hundred million dollar uh, renovation of the Expo Center are talking about building a tunnel to connect the Expo Center and downtown and maybe other stuff. Patrick Henry, I know, I know you had some upfront questions about this. What What were you thinking? Well, first,
1: I, I couldn't figure out if it was if it was serious or not. You know, we went... <laughs> It just seems like, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago, we went through this, uh, the, you know, the boring corporation or whatever did this in maybe Las Vegas. Yeah. And it just, people freaked out about how it, it just didn't work. And it was a huge money suck. And so I was a little surprised to see it. And I, and I was trying to figure out, is it real? Is it a real proposal? I mean they and and the question becomes how do you take this seriously right
0: yeah I mean I saw right. something you know where people were like oh man this is like so this guy Ryan Quarles, is also running against um our our current um governor super popular Democratic uh, governor Andy Bashir this guy's going to be a, a competitor you know coming up to try, trying to you know get the the, the nomination from the Republicans to to go against um Andy and, and 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 I don't know if this is something that he's designed to bring attention to himself. But I mean, the thing is, is I think it is very real because I mean, some people were like, oh no, this guy's just sort of like trolling Louisville because there's the perennial you know, war a- against Louisville where everybody in Kentucky supposedly hates Louisville um, and does everything they can to, to screw with us. I mean, the guy in the announcement, he's like, hey, the state fair board has been working on this for over a year. <laughs> and I, I, by that, I don't know if he means by the, the entire expo. Um, redevelopment plan completely or if he also means that they've been in state fair board meetings talking about this because it's very real and it's not just this guy it's like they've got the you know the director of Kentucky venues uh, Kentucky fair board out all over the the news stations this weekend um, talking about this as a as a really innovative super cool futuristic idea for Louisville and um, I, to answer your question, it seems like it's very real. I mean, if, if it's also a troll on Louisville and some kind of troll on Andy Bashir, uh, that could also be the case. But at the same time, they're in front of uh, committees at state government presenting this with real PowerPoints and stuff. So it's not just one guy. I mean, he's got the board yeah. apparently uh, with it. He's got the staff of, of the Fair Board Association on it. I mean, a big question I have is like, when did the state fair board start proposing like Billion dollar, billion dollar infrastructure yeah. projects for the city, and I know like the numbers on this are all over the place. They they had you know they, they put out some ideas about what they think this is going to cost, something like a quarter billion or something. But uh, Patrick, I know you said you've looked into some numbers around what others, have, as people that floated these crazy ideas around the nation, is there anything that that made sense to you there?
2: uh I don't know if it made sense, but Las <laughs> Vegas, like they have a 1.7 mile tunnel. Our loop that's cost five hundred or no fifty two point five million dollars. Forty seven of that went to the boring company, and five point five of it went to third party inspectors. And to put that in perspective, typically tunnels cost about a hundred million to a billion dollars per mile, depending on what they run into when they're going when they're down there. And also to put in perspective, MSD just built a tunnel that was twenty feet in diameter. That costs $201 million for four miles. And that is just for water retainment, not for actually like life safety kind of things where you need to install things Mm -hmm. to keep people alive down below.
0: Ventilation, like lighting, emergency exits, like a a ton of like stuff you would need on a tunnel, like that's gonna be way bigger than, you know, 20 feet in circumference, I'm imagining. Well, the ones
2: that they do in Las Vegas, I think it's only 12 feet wide. Like, oh, that's well. how they save so much money is that it just needs to fit a Tesla car, which that's the part I have the biggest problem with. I mean, if you're going to be doing a tunnel, it should have some kind of mass transit effect and not a bunch sure. of pods. Like, we haven't developed to the point where we have something that seems like it would make sense in this scenario.
0: One thing I've seen on the Vegas, you know, example, I mean, I don't think a lot of our geology to the... um you know, in our part of the world is maybe the same as the deserts of, of Las Vegas, whether I'm not a geologist, I don't know. I've seen other things where people have done tunneling projects, not, not for these like car kind of Hyperloop, you know, Tesla boring thing. But I mean, people over the course of human history have been like, this is going to cost like $50 million and they end up with something that's like halfway through the project, half a billion dollars or more. And they're not done and they're into like year eight or whatever. Um, I mean, I think we've seen these sort of like these things go really sideways on people. So it's not just like an easy thing to, you know, drill a two mile tunnel through the the bottom of any city. It's it's kind of out there. I mean, thinking about the costs like that would be tied up in like all of the delays and, and problems with with construction for this thing. But getting to the point that you're making at the end there before, I just wanted to sort of debunk the fact that like ours would cost the exact same amount as Las Vegas because people keep bringing up, that our proponents keep bringing up this Las Vegas example. What you're saying about about transit, right? Like why, whether the transit's above ground or underground, why do we need a tunnel for cars when we could be investing money in transit, right?
2: Also, it only takes a couple minutes for me to get from downtown (laughs) to the convention center, even in the middle of rush hour. The whole perspective of what congestion is in in Louisville just kind of baffles me. It's people that have never lived or been in other cities who realize that like an extra five to 10 minute commute is not congestion, like not warranting like expanding lanes or building a tunnel.
0: Yeah, we have to have level of A service everywhere where you can literally like speed or like, or it's major traffic, oh my God. Um, a, a, another, like, a, like are any of these fair board people, like, or state ag people that cook this up, do any of them live in Louisville? Like, 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 to your point about have they driven in Louisville? You know, like, there's a bunch of ways to get from the convention center to downtown. Gosh, a really great one would be something I'm always talking about would be if they would just reconnect Preston at Burnett, then you would have another straight shot right from one of the major connecting roads to the Expo Center, right to Waterfront Park. But anyway... Um, Yeah, this is wacky. Something that like on that point about who came up with this. Do they live in Louisville? Do they think about cities? You know, it's been, I guess there was a couple of weekdays of this floating around Twitter uh, before we hit the weekend, which we're in right now. This Monday or Tuesday, because I have literally seen this on like several local TV stations um, as like what an innovative, cool idea for the city. And then the, co- the co-anchor the is like, yeah, cool stuff coming. You know, it's just like everybody that we know on Twitter is like completely ridiculing this thing, rightly. But it's crazy to see like no discussion from any local leaders about this. Like sometime next week, I would just like to see like, I don't know, maybe like a mayor elect, maybe a city mayor, maybe like a council person that's involved with transportation issues to be like, this is ridiculous. Our city's not going to have a tunnel. Can we Can we get that next week? I don't know.
1: Yeah, that's that's the thing is like wanting to hear from the transportation folks. Right. Because you yeah. you have to assume they'd all be like, yeah, I don't this doesn't make any sense. So, um, you know, the people pushing it don't have most likely don't have any kind of background in that. So
2: anyway, exactly.
1: I, I, I think about built improving a street. Right. Just just a street, you know, yeah. go out to Bartstown Road. It would cost. 15 million dollars just to improve or 20 million maybe just to improve a mile of Bardstown Road right so then as you all mentioned put that underground and it just it you know tenfold
0: I mean we can't so uh, no one local's weighed in yet and you could make the argument that it's like oh yeah well like no one wants to like touch this because it's so ridiculous but I mean don't tell me that because it's all over the nightly news for the last three nights you know concurrent much less somebody like important from local government, like could somebody from KYTC, Kentucky Transportation Cabinet, jump in and talk about what you were just saying, Patrick Henry, you know, like that this is something that would need. Well, yeah, yeah.
1: Chances are they're just not (laughs) right. Like they're not going to jump into that conversation.
0: (laughs) I mean, you're talking about, so I guess they would be the implementers unless like, again, the Kentucky State Fair Board is all of a sudden like some sort of like, Massive infrastructure developer, which I mean, I think usually they're, they're worrying about ham breakfast or something, right? Like, um, uh, Chris Ott from WDRB had a great tweet where you know he was like, Are we really going to have the? I mean, this is assuming KYTC would have something to do with this, which I mean, it seems like that makes sense. Uh, but you know, he was like, are, uh, The people like that are literally you know holding together uh, our, our major bridges with zip ties right now, they have the bandwidth for uh, a two or three mile long tunnel underneath Louisville. I, I, as a part of our transportation system, I, I, I don't know. Uh, this whole thing seems uh, totally crazy, and it's just been really interesting to see um various people what their thoughts are or aren't. Um, a lot of people that I've, I have had no idea, like, were sort of like big kind of hyperloop or tunnel advocates have, have kind of jumped out and been excited about this. But I got to say, like, I, I don't know anybody in my circle that thinks this is a good idea. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll definitely keep on top of. Um, <laughs> the, the Kentucky Exposition Center tunnel uh project as as this as more details uh come together and uh keep everybody posted. But I, I, I've had some great conversations this week. Um uh you know we, we we talk about Cincinnati all the time. Um there's always stuff happening there. It's it's you know our whole you know tri-states area kind of in quotation marks real city. Um they you know they've got they've got a streetcar, they've got really, you know, dense urban neighborhoods. Uh, they got all kinds of interesting things happening all the time. This week, I wanted to talk about a couple of things uh, together that have been in the news um, for various reasons. The first of which is like, you know, I think we've been hearing about what's up with the the Brent Spence Bridge project for a while now. Um, it's been as discussions have sort of uh, come together on that. And I, I guess the idea here is that the Ohio Department of Transportation and um And Kentucky Transportation Cabinet are going to be doing a big major bridge improvements, uh, what highway ramp interchange improvements, all all the kinds of things that we, you know, saw um, with the Ohio River Bridges project here in Louisville, um, except, you know, it's happening there now. I mean, a big key difference there is that they're not going to have the tolls on it. But, um, you know, as this thing moves forward and as as plans get updated, they just revise the plan again. Um, and I think they announced that last week, the the what was going to happen at the street level in Cincinnati and the street level in, in northern um, Kentucky and Covington um, In those communities that they, they sort of did a plan update and announced that. Uh, but there have been some really good, um, you know, proponents. Uh, about like sort of a, a different vision, like how can we take these kinds of massive, I, I think they're talking about two or 3 billion, not unlike um, the project here in Louisville. Um, and, and people, urbanists, people in neighborhoods, transportation sort of advocates in, in the area are like, hey, wait, can we, can we hold up on this? And before we just expand a bunch of off-ramp spaghetti and interchanges and, and make a big super wide bridge, um, between Covington and Cincinnati, can we take a step back and think about how we could do this better, how we could free up land? Could we cover, could we cap the the highway in some areas and, and build onto the success of these neighborhoods on top of this highway? A, a, a lot of really interesting ideas. And in the Bridge Forward group that um, Brian Bolin sort of is a, a the key guy on, um, we sat down for an interview and um, that's uh, coming up uh, right here
3: the brent spence corridor project has been uh something that has been trying to get off the ground uh, for over a decade uh, since they officially landed on a uh, a design preference back in 2012. so it's been 10 years since that uh, happened prior to that going back to 2005 actually 2004 january of 2004 I, I did some research and found the first articles in the old Cincinnati Post newspaper uh, with some renderings of what ODOT envisioned for this rebuild. And, and what it is is we have a, a choke point on Interstate 75. You know, it runs from the Canadian border down through Cincinnati and eventually down to Miami, Florida. And the choke point we have is the Brent Spence Bridge. The bridge handles both 75 uh, and Interstate 71 as they cross the river into Northern Kentucky from Cincinnati. And you've got these, these two highways that come through here that carry a huge volume of traffic. I think the latest totals are around 150,000 cars a day um, coming through there. And uh, we also have a lot of local traffic that mixes in and, and the original designs, you know, from the fifties and sixties, they weren't anticipating volumes like that. So what you've got, and we have this on a lot of our bridges here. You've got a lot of ramps that come in right at the bridge where it crosses the river, and it leads to inevitable delays. And and some of them, some of them are left-hand entrances, so you've got merging traffic coming in on the high-speed lanes, and and there's two of them right next to each other, like you know, two tenths of a mile from the bridge, and it creates these huge backups. Um, so so that's the choke point, the pinch point. And the plan that they came up with uh, will take that local traffic away from the bridge. It will get the entrances away from the immediate vicinity of the bridge itself. And the idea is that they can reduce some of this congestion this way. Um, And they're going to add one lane of capacity uh, across the bridge from Cincinnati into Covington. So that's the long and short of it. Um, Separate the local traffic, make things flow a little better. Add an extra lane, and all that for the small price of somewhere between 2.6 and 3.8 billion
0: dollars. <laughs> yeah, we've definitely been through uh, um, multi-billion-dollar um, bridge projects uh, here in Louisville, so it's definitely interesting to um, uh, observe what's going on with this um, I- impending project uh, upriver. Um, but you know, I, I guess as as you and, and other urbanists in, in the Cincinnati area have looked at this project, you've sort of come up with. Uh, a response to how this could maybe be improved, how this could do better for the city, for the region, um, in terms of um, connectivity, uh, in, in terms of utilizing urban space well, and, and this this is that this sort of led you to the um, the bridge forward um, project and in, in in this sort of effort that you guys are, are are spearheading is that is that a good way to put that?
3: Yeah, yeah. So uh, Kentucky and its bridges. Wow, we could write a book about that. Um, the, the reason the bridge didn't get built after that design uh, was agreed on in 2012 is because um, we folks up here in, in Northern Kentucky don't wanna pay tolls. Uh, and so some very motivated people got together uh, to oppose the bridge because it's such a massive project that they wanted to, to put tolls on it to pay for it. And, and what people quickly figured out, if you've ever looked at a map of Cincinnati, uh, we have what we call you know our spaghetti junction on the Western edge of our downtown. And and when people started looking at the bridge, what they noticed is that the approach coming through northern Kentucky and Covington eh, is about $700 million. The bridge itself, about $600 million. The Cincinnati end of the bridge, $1.4 billion. And and the way our kind of demographics works up here is a lot of people from northern Kentucky drive over to work in Cincinnati and then drive back at the end of the day. And so what happened is the people in northern Kentucky said, hold on a minute. All the cost is on your side of the bridge, nearly half of it is on your side of the bridge. And we're the ones that are gonna be paying the tolls every day. So we're paying for your costly infrastructure. And and so you've got this asymmetry in the use of the bridge and then the cost of the bridge, and they got together and they organized And they said, no, we're not gonna to toll this bridge, find another way to pay for it. So that goes back to 2014 to 2016. In the intervening six years, ODOT and Kentucky Transportation Cabinet did very little to get past this. And, and it was during this time um, that I got interested in this. I went back to college and got my master's in urban sustainability and resilience. And this was one of my capstone projects. It's like, hey, this thing is stuck. Um, literally, Kentucky passed a law saying you cannot toll a bridge from Kenton County to Hamilton County in Ohio. That's how specific they were. Um, so I came at this and I said, Well, what are the two things that any infrastructure project ought to do? It ought to improve traffic. Obviously, that's one of the goals. But on the backside, instead of tolling it to pay for it, could we generate some more income when the project's done? So when I looked at the spaghetti on the western edge of Cincinnati and I started looking at some historical maps of Cincinnati, I was shocked to see how much of the city was destroyed when the highway was built back in the 60s. The West End of Cincinnati was uh, our most flood-prone area, and it became the area where our black and brown residents came to live. You know what happened in the 50s and 60s uh, when it came to running highway projects through cities. No different here. The only difference being uh, that instead of just running the highway through our neighborhood and creating the separation, we actually bulldozed the entire neighborhood. Something along the lines of, in the entire West End, 65,000 people moved out um, reduced to about 7,000 people when they were done with it.
0: Yeah. The map um, on your, um, the map on the bridge dash forward.org site. Um, the aerials is, I mean, it's just incredible. Like the, the level of, um, uh, of just demolished neighborhoods that got taken out from the 1930s to the fifties to the sixties. It's just, the the graphic is really, um, shocking.
3: Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, it's hard for us today to think back to a time when that was an acceptable outcome. Um, and, and I don't hold it against them necessarily, but I do hold it against the people today who are not doing more to make up for that. Uh, you know, I'm not saying we have to feel sorry for them or whatever, but what I'm saying is let's do the right thing now. And the right thing now would be to take that barrier down, do that by shrinking the footprint of the highway, reconnect our street grid to the west where it used to go, and turn that land uh, one of the things that we probably could do a better job of showing on the website is, is showing how fallow that land is lying right now. Um, they've torn down free Class B buildings that were built in the 70s. They can't lease them. Uh, they, they, they tear them down, they grass them over, and nothing's happening on them. Because the land, even though it's within eyeshot of downtown, I mean, with a tailwind, you could throw a stone and hit it. Uh, but no one wants it. Because it was designed as a kind of light industrial commercial zone mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. those are the things the people that build that stuff they want to be out on the fringes where land is cheap yeah. uh, and where yeah. they can get on and off the highway easily you're trying to convince them to build yeah. a land right next to the most congested intersection in the system <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, so yeah <laughs> we think that connecting back across maybe giving that land a different use as we've seen up here I don't know what it is down there we've seen up here just a tremendous investment in our, our old traditional urban core. On both sides of the river, you know, we've got our over the Rhine neighborhood here that's doing great. Across the river in Covington, I I heard somebody refer to Covington as uh, Cincinnati's version of Brooklyn, uh, the the hip place to go. But if you can't afford over the Rhine, Um, but, you know, we've got developments going on on both sides of the river. They're they're all kind of urban developments, uh, density, walkable, uh, all the things that, that we people talk about. And, and this is one of the things in, in talking to ODOT that they, they simply aren't capable of factoring into their modeling. And that is that when the demographics changes, for example, in Covington, there was an IRS processing center. I think at its height, it, it employed a couple thousand people. So you've got, if you, let's just say for talking purposes, you've got 2,000 people a day working there, that's 4,000 trips a day on your road, 2,000 in, 2,000 out, right? Well, that building is gone. Uh, the land's been turned back over to the city of Covington. They're looking at redeveloping it into a walkable urban mixed-use neighborhood. Well, guess what? The people that live there aren't gonna be getting off the highway in the numbers that the people working at the IRS did. Um, across the river in Cincinnati, uh, we lost uh, a major Fortune 500 company, Macy's, uh, moved to New York. Their office building has been bought, 26-story office building being converted to condos and apartments. We're not going to have those 900 people a day driving in and out to get to that building anymore. The, the people that live there are going to live and walk downtown, um, and, and ODOT simply does not have a way of factoring that in to their methodology. Am I making sense to you here? One hundred percent. One hundred
0: percent. It seems like um, it's been very you know difficult to get um, state department of transportations to. I I guess to sort of acknowledge reality, acknowledge um, the the future, whether we're talking about a desire to move back to the city, whether we're talking about impending climate crises, um, crises in in these old sort of just like um, linear algebraic, like uh, traffic growth models, you know, or, 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 or estimated population growth models aren't really, I think, sophisticated enough to understand and take into account that, you know, people want to be in cities. um, And and, and cities aren't necessarily a a great place for big, large, elevated highways that are moving cars very rapidly. But that's, you know, that's a a lot of engineers just get locked into that, that sort of thinking. Um, And unfortunately, and I think as you were sort of alluding to, uh, I mean, we're talking about multi billion dollar projects. And we're also talking about being in a time and having an understanding where we should be sort of trying to reconcile and fix do better with the mistakes we made in the past especially the ones that were related to um racial and economic injustices related to 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 urban renewal and and these kinds of projects seem like they should be you know tailored to try to fix what we did with urban renewal um so it's really frustrating to see sort of really old school just bigger wider highway kinds of projects happening um, in 2022 when when we really should be thinking more strategically with these dollars and, and and building more sustainable neighborhoods and maybe not adding lanes in every single project and making you know more space for people and I think that's a, a, a part of what um, you guys were proposing here correct is that um, with some design changes to what these um, dots are proposing you know you could really, add a ton more space um, to downtown Cincinnati and, and really create a lot of places for people, create a lot of tax revenue for the city, something much better than this this big you know, spaghetti of, of off-ramps, right?
3: Yeah, 100%. Absolutely right. It, again, going back to the toll and the delay over tolls, that was the second half of our argument. It was not just that we could reduce the cost by having a more streamlined highway, but that we could unlock this economic potential in this area that right now is so underutilized. Uh, and yes, that particular uh, census zone, for example, right next to the city there uh, that you see on the map, 35 residents, uh, and they're all transient. Uh, so that means they're homeless people. We have an opportunity to a house, the 35 people, but B take land that is currently just really lying, unused, turn it into a neighborhood, create net housing with virtually zero displacement and and possibly a net increase in attainable housing for people from those people that were historically, uh, pushed out of the system. Um, you know yeah. it's a start it's not the end it's a start it's a way of thinking differently uh, like you said i think a lot of this is rooted in a lot of engineers who are very good engineers they know how to build highways what what, what i often say to people though is this that engineers can't design urbanism but urbanists yeah. can design a highway
0: you know just looking a little bit back at the the news around the project i mean can you talk a little bit about this the new design that was unveiled earlier this month of november um, and sort of I, I, just looking on Twitter, it looked like most people that are into sort of good urbanism were really disappointed with with this redesign or new design. I'm not sure exactly what, what, what was going on with that. But what what was this like this new design? Was this in response to folks like yourself? Um, was this did this have something to do with um, funding changes? I mean, what, what was behind this? The, I guess whatever happened
2: here?
3: Yeah. um, So that's interesting because last night there was a meeting at the downtown residence council where ODOT came and presented to them. We had quite a few members of our group there. Um, Not sure the meeting went exactly as the ODOT people had hoped. (laughs) Um, And I I got to ask this exact question. I said, you know, Stefan is the chief engineer's name. I said, Stefan, appreciate the changes. Uh, Any change is good. Willingness to change, love to see it. I said, but How did that happen exactly i said we made a proposal we talked to the mayor and to council members they talked to you and then this plan comes out i'm like nobody asked us if it met the criteria we were trying to get you to change we don't know what those conversations were how it went i said this is the black box thinking that gets the public uh irritated because there's there's no back and forth it's a we don't like your cake okay what's wrong with it we don't like your cake and then they come back with another cake and the icing went from white to blue. And we're like, that's not what we were talking about. <laughs> you know, you, you gave us an incremental change when we're looking for a fundamental change. Um,
1: totally.
3: my, my basic thought on that project is that it's a distinction without a difference. Um, yeah. Yes, they, they removed a ramp. And actually, I was able to ask him a pointed question about one of the changes. It's like you, you created a new ramp from Third Street onto the highway. He's like, yes, because when we take away this ramp, we have to add a ramp somewhere else. And I said, well, at that point on third street where you have a ramp, I noticed that there's another entrance from third street at the end of the clayway Bailey bridge, which goes to Covington. He says, ah, oh, yes, we wanted to make the clayway Bailey bridge more connected. So, cause it's kind of underutilized. Now I said, Stefan, that's like 500 feet. Hmm. I'm like at 25 miles an hour, you're talking about 34 seconds to drive that far and get on down there. Why not just do that? And then you get into the engineering answers where it says, well, you don't understand. <laughs> you know, that's too much traffic. I said, look, there's, because I am so deep in the weeds on this, I was able to say, look, there's nothing on the north side of Third Street that would stop you from just continuing a lane and having it join where that other entrance is. Or they can go up to Sixth Street. And get on there. Oh well, that's not a direct ramp to Sixth Street. I'm like, yes, but it goes to the connector and gets on the highway, right? It's like, I don't think they're used to people being able to ask them pointed questions. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, that's what you have to do if you really want to get some change out of them, because yeah. they'll 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 go into engineer mode and they'll give you that. Well, you're not an engineer. Yeah. Uh, no, we're not engineers, but we drive these roads. We. Yeah. I don't want to know the compaction strength of any thickness of concrete or the tensile strength of the steel needed for the bridge. But I can tell you a layout that looks good or bad. And I can tell you a layout where if it's our plan, when you're done, you've completed a project, you've improved the highway, and you've set the city up for that increased tax revenue, the county for increased tax revenue, new residents, new businesses. Or I can show you the plan that when the last construction truck pulls away, everybody goes, man, we missed the boat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, looking at, um, you know, sort of the kind of the press release around the, the new design um, coming from the, the DOTs. Um, I mean, it's like the bullet number one sort of is like this will free up nearly 10 acres of land in downtown Cincinnati. Um, when, when your proposal was like, you know, we want to we could free up 30 acres. Um, I mean, it, it almost seems like a direct response to to, 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 to the advocacy that you've done. I'm not. I mean, I don't know if it is or not. But what what do you think about the ten acres that they're freeing up versus the thirty acres um, um, idea that that you guys had?
3: Um, I think thirty is bigger than (laughs) ten.
0: Were the ten acres we're talking about even really like? Would that even like represent like functional space? Like I I I, I remember seeing a map that looked kind of like it was kind of like spaces in between ramps. I, I I don't I don't remember quite what I saw, but
3: yeah. So there originally was. Uh, I think it's somewhere between six and nine acres that they were originally planning on it. If you go back and look at that 2012 or 13 image that we have on the website, you can see that that green is already there. Yeah. So what they did is they took the the, the ramp I was talking about that they removed that they had to replace with another ramp. That allowed them to have a bigger contiguous space. And they did tweak one of the ramps to reduce it by a lane and, and make it less swoopy. Um, and so that is kind of what created the difference and it does create a larger contiguous piece. Um, but it just pales in comparison to what we're suggesting. And, and a lot of what I've come to find out is that a lot of these issues, um, are kind of about jurisdictional things. Um, they, they have what they call CD roads, collector distributor roads. And last night, Stefan said that the, the CD roads are built to, and are under the purview of ODOT, of the highway department. Mm -hmm. So ODOT designs things from the standard, which is called the ASHTO Green Book. ASHTO stands for uh, American Association of State Highway Transportation Officials. Because that book is so oriented towards kind of greenfield rural highway development, there's another group called NACTO, which you probably know about them, the National Association of City Transportation Officials. What our request of them is, look, don't build these roads to your ASHTO standard. Build them to the NACTO standard because you're building these streets. And I use the distinction between road and street there. You're building these streets to funnel traffic towards your highway, but totally. you don't need to build them with these 40 mile an hour radius uh, corners and these slip lanes and things. The people driving around in their high fidelity, Wi Fi enabled, heated leather seat, air conditioned vehicles they can make it the 26 more seconds that it will take to get around the corner. You know, I, I feel like so many of their arguments are, we're arguing over, we're literally arguing over a four of a mile segment of highway. Yeah. And it's like, but you're, it's you're... All,
0: all in the spirit of making sure that no one ever has to sit in their car for a few extra seconds.
3: <laughs> right. Right. That's literally why I pointed out to him, Stefan, we're talking about 34 seconds. <laughs> This is not and, – and even um, one of the things they did in, in the 2010s when they were trying to push this through with the tolls is they would do a math that works out like this. 140,000 cars a day suffering through three minutes. Oh I did the God. math. It was like three minutes and 54 seconds of delay. The now, horror. <laughs> yeah, the horror. Now, you and I all – now, there are some safety concerns that are legitimate, totally yeah. on board yeah. with that. We all want safety. But, yeah. but here's how the argument went. 140,000 cars, three minutes of delay times – $20 per hour, let's say, of economic dead loss.
0: Oh, give me a break.
3: And I scratch my head and I go, <laughs> you know, when I leave the office, no one's paying me. Yeah. Now, maybe a, maybe a trucking company is. But here's the truth of the situation. You and I know this, and it's just hard, hard to explain to people. But if you add the lane, what you do is you take all those people who, who said, man, traffic's going to be bad. I'm not going to go right now. Or I'm going to go the other way because traffic's always bad. And then they go, oh look, a new lane on the highway, and poof, the highway lane is filled up. You know, we, they're Katy Freeway in Texas, um, out in LA, Sepulveda Pass. Billions of dollars spent on these projects. Sepulveda Pass, the traffic actually slowed down by 45 seconds when they were done. So, so they do this math where it's this number of cars times this much delay equals this much economic loss. Well, if you increase the number of cars, and you actually end up increasing the delay, you've yeah. increased the economic loss. That argument is completely invalid.
0: Back to the the meeting uh, last night. I mean, where did you feel like th- this is left? Or is it, was this, a, number one, is this a series of meetings, or was this just the one meeting last night, and they're just letting you know that they've made some changes, and this is what's going to happen, and public input is done? And and I mean, is that – or do you feel like there's still time for, for advocacy here and to, to maybe – further influence this project?
3: Um, I hope there's still time. Um, Look, (laughs) nobody's moving dirt yet. Uh, So from a practical standpoint, there is still time. We're talking about drawings on paper right now. Um, And they've got to build a bridge across a river. Uh, So before they start messing with anything on the north side or the south side of the river, they've got to get the bridge together. So uh, do I think there's time? Yes, if they're willing to embrace change. This is one of the things that people, and and there was a large contingent of us, probably 30 to 50% of the crowd there was people from our group. There's a large contingent of people pointing out that this this process that they're going through, let me answer that question, is a little bit of a song and dance. Uh, They're kind of walking a thin line between having to do public outreach, but that public outreach actually being like Henry Ford said, you can have any car as long as it's black, you can have any highway as long as it's what's on the board behind me. <laughs> yeah. Um so uh that's what they're trying to do to walk that line and make it look like they're doing they're checking boxes on their you know federal highway administration forms um we're there to shout loudly to the federal highway people and say this is not a sufficient process again going back to my question to him why do you do things in a black box you're taking a plan from 15, 17 years ago, whether they decided on that plan in 2012 officially or not, the thinking has not changed one iota since that first article came out in 2004. Uh, So let's just say 18 years ago. Uh, And and everybody in that room was saying, look, this city is wildly different than it was 15 years ago. Real quick recap, because you guys might not know this. We had riots in 2001 when a gentleman named Timothy Thomas was shot by the police. Cincinnati was on fire for most of, uh, for a great part of that year. That put everything on hold here for three or four years. Okay, the Fort Washington Way project finished in the year 2000. The concrete was barely dry. We still didn't know how that was going to play out. Uh, if you've seen our riverfront park in the area we call the Banks, that was still a mud pit while they were building two stadiums. Okay, it takes until the mid 2010s before we finally see the results of all of that. And this is one of the things I said to the audience last night is, we have the benefit of hindsight right now to say, wow, look what happens when we get this project right. It's really a catalyst for growth in our city. And it would be a shame. And they will all feel regret the day that last truck moves away if we don't do this right and if there's no residual benefit.
0: A hundred percent. I mean, clearly Cincinnati is experiencing some sort of... uh... Renaissance, mini Renaissance, um, things seem to be going very well. There's a lot of activity in, I mean, especially with, you know, leadership at the federal level, you know, some of the things that Buddha judge is talking about, this does just seem like the perfect opportunity to maybe slow down a little bit and, and do some of the things that you're suggesting, which is take this an enormous kind of once in a generation level of investment and do something that builds on all the great things that are happening for Cincinnati right now. Versus just sort of building an old school wide, fast highway, you know. Like, um, the, the, I don't know. This, this this is the opportunity. I mean, it looks like they're saying that they're hoping to start work about this time next year in 2023, November, November 23. It'll be interesting to see um, what happens um, basically in the next 12 months if if, if there's any um, room for improvement here. Um, I mean, it seems like the you know Cincinnati mayor's office is fully on board with the dots here and. Um, they've made their changes, I guess, for, for the reasons that, um, remain in the black box.
3: Yeah, this is definitely, uh, this is definitely an, uh, not an engineering problem. This is a political problem. We're, we're like Noah's Ark up here as you are. We got two of everything, two States, two counties, two cities. Um, and, and there's a governor, uh, by the last name of Bashir, who's got an election coming up. He would certainly like to see shovels being moved. Um, you know, we have our own political issues over here i wish the mayor were more on board um you know he came into office with a lot of promise i'm not sure he's living up to that promise yet by getting online with this kind of plan from when he was a young man as well um we'd like to see that change and and hopefully through getting the word out uh you know things like we did last night outlets like you giving us a a moment to kind of say our piece here and give our side of the story that's how we're hoping to make the change we're not going to stop we're going to go and until we either get our way or or somebody tells us it's done, but we're going to keep pushing.
0: Brian, I really, really appreciate your time. Uh, it was really great talking to you. Yeah, thank you. Glad to be on. Uh, do you want to tell folks how to um, get in touch or or to learn more about uh, your efforts?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can visit us on the web. That's the easiest place, and and I think we've got some good graphics up there that show what we're all about. We're at wwwbridge forward Dot org that's that's the word bridge dash the word forward dot org
2: i mean there's a couple of Just i mean it's just an interesting project but and I, I do think that it really is an uh would be amazing to be able to get back that 30 acres that they're claiming over the uh current like roadways if they were to build above it so i mean i hope that they're able to do it
0: an investment of this size to not only improve transportation over the uh, over the Ohio there, but to really you know transform the city on both sides and 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 build on the success that that these areas are having. I mean, these these areas are like developing and blowing up in a way, and that you know Louisville just isn't. And um and it seems kind of like backward to just overlay this like giant old school nineteen fifties interstate thing, um, and just to a- expand on that and make it bigger and deeper um and more impactful um is especially in light of what you get you see coming out of the federal government where hey like here's some planning money to help us figure out how to fix the terrible things that we did um in in urban renewal and you know like they've got at bridge uh dash that you know they show like just the absolutely in, insane impact of um of the interstates on, on the west end of cincinnati but anyway great conversation with brian um i think we should uh you know Talk a little bit about this whole thing with um the uh the railroad uh sale in cincinnati i mean this is a proposal again but there's a lot of stuff that needed to, that needs to happen if indeed um the city of cincinnati as they propose, proposed is going to sell off the only um municipal uh, railway in the nation to uh norfolk southern um and i guess the idea here is that they've got this public asset this is a, a railway that was built in like the late 19th century um, it was a way for Cincinnati to try to connect up with the South. I guess, I guess it goes all the way to Chattanooga. Um, and this was a way to like, I guess, get them into the markets, you know, down all the way down to, to New Orleans. This was their route. They put their piggies in the bank on this. And, uh, you know, who knows? I would love to hear more about the history of this railway, um, number one, and in, in, in what it did. But this is what, you know, cities used to do this back in the day. Like the city was the one that was like, hey, we're going to build a railroad, uh, you know, back in the 1800s. And we're going to like put our like investment together to try to like bring more commerce to our city. I mean, Louisville had situations like that. Basically, we talked to Chris Wetterick from Cincinnati Business Courier um, about his understanding of this proposal from um, the board of trustees um, of of this thing. Um, It's like the mayor's office is on board and um, sort of this idea that they're gonna offload this railroad and somehow make more money through reinvesting that money than they currently get from Norfolk Southern leasing it. Who's talking about selling Cincinnati's um, municipally owned railroad and 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 why?
4: So it's a, it's a, you know, two groups, basically. One is the, the mayor and and most of the city council, I think, is on board with us at this point. Um, so Mayor aftab Pureval, And then there's a group of people on the Cincinnati Southern Railway Board. And so those are folks that are appointed by the mayor. And I think all of them have been appointed by the previous mayor, Mayor John Cranley. And uh, their job is to oversee the railroad, uh, which goes from here to Chattanooga. And they're they're kind of you know oversee is kind of a, a light term there. Like they're not like looking at train schedules or anything like that. Their their main job is to only consider the city's lease with Norfolk Southern's. Uh, subsidiary which is the main and really the only user of the railroad and it's a key part of their network Um, so those folks began to renegotiate the lease with norfolk southern in 2021 and um, as they kind of got through that process they made a determination that the the better uh, thing for the city in the long run is to sell the railroad and to take that money uh, 1.6 billion dollars and basically invest it. And so that they're basically trading one investment for another. Um, they're trading an investment that kind of spins off about, you know roughly 25 million dollars a year ballpark. And they would take that investment, uh, the, the money that they received from the railroad, the sale of the railroad, and invest it. And then theoretically, that investment would produce nearly double, uh, or maybe even more than double, the amount of revenue the city gets every year from the lease. So that is the kind of the working argument for why they're trying to sell it. They believe that the sale would produce more money for the city on a year-to-year basis than keeping the railroad and just continuing to lease it. So that's the rationale at this point.
0: A bird in the hand. Um you know is worth right. two in the bush. I mean that, that's what I mean it's a big theoretically there, right? Like that um this the market's going to perform well enough to um double this money um and it seems like i, I guess there are, are are there any local critics i mean i've obviously i've seen a lot of folks on twitter that i think probably um you know just you know regular folks or folks that are interested in um uh, you know ur- urban issues you know thinking like well um it, it seems like this is an asset that that we have publicly uh, you've got the the market analysts and investors looking at railways this is a great place to invest uh, why? Why would we sell off this kind of an asset? You know, uh,
4: there's an argument. I yeah. First of all, let me back up to you to your first part of your question. There are there are skeptics and critics of it. Um, you know, we're still kind of getting through the details of it, and there's questions that we have about you know what were the what were the counter offers and the initial offers for the lease payments? How much were? How much could they have gotten if they kept leasing? We we've been told. They will, you know, they will get more under this scenario than they would if they continue to lease it. We also know that Norfolk and Southern uh, considers it um, they would rather own the railroad than lease it. Uh, they consider the the leasing to be, you know, something that not unstable, but they just, you know, they don't know what they're going to have to pay uh, down the road. So. Uh, they're, you know, the presumption is they will have to pay more than they are paying today. And so there's a lot of questions about that, like, we just don't know hard dollar figures, and that's what it would be nice to see, that would be one thing, uh, piece of information that's that's not clear. And then the other one is, there's been a number of valuations or appraisals of the railroad, although there's some legal technicalities in using the word appraisal, really, what we want to know is how much the thing is worth. And um, the The board, the Cincinnati Southern Railway board, um, did commission some studies of the railroad, and we think they have some numbers, but they haven't released those yet. Those are all that information has been requested uh, through public records request. Not sure on the timetable on getting it, um, you know. But when we do, we'll, we'll certainly write some more stories about it. So, uh, as for the critics, yeah, there are some. Mostly, we've seen, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, kind of urbanists on Twitter, but also from uh, some of the Republican state lawmakers who will have to approve uh, the sale or basically change state law to allow the um you know, the sale of the of the railroad and the the way that they want to invest the proceeds from it. And so um that yes. criticism is not really like we haven't seen anything uh, like the coherence of it. Uh, is not like congealed to me. Like I'm not, I'm not clear exactly what the the the, the criticism is, other than kind of a one off. Like, oh, they'll just spend all the money in one swell fell swoop. But the, the fact of the matter is, the the legislation that they're going to consider would prevent that from happening. So, on one hand, you have them saying that. On the other hand, you have you know you have it written in in the potential law that no, you can't just go spend one point six billion dollars
0: yeah, yeah. I, beyond this like change to state law to to make something like this happen, there's some other hoops to jump through, right?
4: Yeah, there's three things that really need to happen now. So the first is a change in state law, which would allow the sale of the railroad, the investment the in proceeds. And then the second thing is uh, the city voters will need to approve this. Uh, and then the third is that, The federal government, and I can't recall what agency off the top of my head, but there is, you know, there's obviously an agency that regulates railroads, and that that agency will have to approve the sale as well. So there's three approvals that need to happen before this actually, uh, the sale actually occurs.
0: Right, right. And I, I mean, I, I, this just seems seemingly, I guess, kind of out of nowhere. I I mean, I, I guess, like, I don't know if you have anything to say about the impetus for this, or, or if. Um, is it really all about this sort of trust fund for the future of Cincinnati or whatever, which is, I guess, the idea of what the the this money is going to be spent on?
4: Yeah, as far as I can tell, I mean, yeah, it's 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 about increasing the amount of money that the city can spend on improving or replacing its infrastructure. The city has a massive deficit on its infrastructure needs. It's it's probably going to approach 400 million in the next couple of years. And uh, there's just really no way to pay for it uh, in the current city budget. There's no way to catch up. And one of the the, the main thing that the rail money goes to today, the, the rail lease money, it goes to that infrastructure. And so this is a way of really, you know, massively scaling up what they're able to do every year. And that's that's why they're doing it, um, because it's a way, as the city looks at its budgetary future, it's a way to, you know, try to to build more money into it, and and to really you know try to catch up on all of the deferred maintenance that it has. I mean, there's countless examples, but you know they've got they got station fire stations that are you know really like 70 or 80 years old. I think they have a garage, a particular garage in the public works department that that really is decrepit and needs work. And so there's and then there's countless millions of dollars in the park system that, you know, needs to, you know, that has deferred maintenance as well. So um, more examples of that, I'm sure will be coming as we uh, as we continue to write about it Um, to a point you made earlier about, um, you know, whether this is a safer investment than the rail itself. I mean, uh, I think the city views it as a diversification of what it, you know, what it invests in. Um, The city built the railroad in the 1880s or late 1880s. That's when it was completed and the point was to spur economic development uh and also to you know get trade going between cincinnati and the southern states and so um you know that was kind of the reason they built it and it has kind of provided it has provided an annuity for the for the citizens of cincinnati for all these years and the the folks that are you know pushing this kind of simply view this as you know a way of of upgrading that annuity and they view it as, well, we're, we're not going to just have money coming into that annuity from one source, which is which is this railroad, but many sources as we you know, invest this money. It's not unlike trust funds that people have, private trust funds, charitable organizations that have investments of their money that continue to allow them to do their work every year uh, through the returns on those investments, or a, a pension fund. Uh, in a way it operates the same way they they have a massive kitty of money and they're paying out every year um, to the pensioners the the earnings return or the return on investment on that on that uh on that you know corpus that main sum of money which is what the 1.6 billion would be it was interesting when I talked to the mayor about this a few I guess it was a week ago or so you know I asked him are you looking to you know increase this this investment over the years because of course 1.6 billion billion dollars will, you know, is a lot today, but in 10, 15, 20, 100 years, it's inflation is going to do its thing and it's not going to be worth as much.
3: Mm-hmm. And the
4: mayor said, yeah, you know, our that that's how the investment formula theoretically will work. Their goal is to get five and a half percent returns on that investment. And they would take um, roughly 64% of the, the proceeds from that. That would go to the city to pay for these infrastructure upgrades that are needed. And then the remaining would be reinvested uh, into the fund. And so theoretically, they will, you know, grow that fund as you do your 401k or your uh, pension system or whatever. And so that's, that's the main principle behind it.
0: Yeah. I'm just sort of doing some quick calculator work here and assuming I put all the correct zeros in there. Sure. Um, it looks like a, a 5.5% return on investment on $1.6 billion is $88 million. That's uh, correct. Yep. And, and, and is that really the extent of, I guess, the analysis like, that's gone into this? I mean, uh, have you seen where anybody has been like, and we've had these top investment minds put together like these estimates of the amount that we're going to get? I mean, I, I guess what I'm leaning to is like, is this a realistic um, expectation to get 5.5%? I, I'm not a finance guy. I have no idea.
4: Sure sure no totally it's a it's that's that is kind of the main question i've had about it and so uh, first there's certainly a financial analysis that they have done on this where they have projected this out and i've you know we've asked for that as well we haven't yet received it um and you know i just presume i presume they will want the public to see that eventually but they haven't released it yet um but as far as a, a kind of a similar example the cincinnati retirement fund uh, is the city's pension system and you know many of its some of its employees are in a state pension system and the others are in this local pension system and so uh, they project every year that they will you know make seven point five percent return on investment from that pension fund and um and over the years they've actually averaged more than that. I think they've averaged close to, it's over nine percent but not quite ten percent. I don't remember exactly the 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 middle ground there, but I mean, it's it's it, they've they've pretty much met that expectation. So, by comparison, the the return on investment they're expecting to make from the railroad money is less and more conservative. Yeah. In my mind, kind of wonder whether it's too conservative because if you're saving thirty six percent of it and putting it back into the one point six billion, does that keep up with inflation? Like when yeah. we're taught when we think about inflation now. The answer is no. But if we went back to what the Fed tries to keep inflation at, which is about two percent, yeah, they're going to do they're going to do better. And the other thing to remember here is they'll have to pay investment advisors fees for this stuff, and so that's another kind of X factor. Like, what are the fees going to be, and how much could that uh, reduce what city is able to either reinvest or uh, you know give to city government in order to deal with these infrastructure
0: needs? Is it apparent that this came from Mayor Aftab or, or was, or is it that, is it not clear? I don't think, I don't, I don't
4: think that, uh, I don't think it was his, like, I don't think he came in on day one and and fought it up. I think this was a, in fact, I know this was a process that was initiated uh, by the Cincinnati Southern Railway Board as they renegotiated the lease with Norfolk and Southern. So it was an idea that began uh, during prior to, uh Fftab term. and um you know, he came in and and you know, has obviously looked at it pretty closely and uh, agrees with it, you know, yeah, did, concurs with
0: with the plan. do you think did the idea come from Norfolk Southern? Um,
4: I think it I think it was a product of, I mean, sure, Norfolk and Southern would definitely want to buy. they want to <laughs> own their railroad. The yeah. question is how much, you know, how much, I mean, how much is it worth, right? Like mm-hmm. there, years and years ago during, I think during the Mallory administration, I mean, there were, this has come up a number of times, like um, Councilman Charlie Winburn at one point wanted to sell it as well. And so, okay. but the, the dollar figures kind of bandied about were far less than 1.6 billion. Yeah. The one that sticks out to me from many years ago, probably more than a decade is like 500 million. And I think the city kind of laughed them out of the room because they, you know, the former city manager under Mallory was city manager, Milton DeHoney. And keep in mind, Mallory is a member of the Cincinnati Southern Railway Board. But anyway, the city manager at that time said, you've got a billion dollar railroad on your hands. And so the sale price is more than a billion. It's 1.6 billion. So um, I don't know whether that's the right number. I have no idea. and And it's something that need to have more documents to, to look totally. at and
0: people totally. to talk to so totally I just looking around you know looking at some of the links people are posting and then a little bit of the buzz you know everybody's like oh my god like warren buffett is bullish on rail like why are we trying to sell this asset right now and you know the, the first thing that comes up you know when you look at uh good to, uh, i got good to invest in railroads on google and it's like uh railroad industry is predicted to increase by 337 billion um in the, next, in the next few years representing an annual growth rate of like 10%. I don't know. It just seems like this is like guaranteed money. So Chris, thank you so much. Um, it's been really great to talk to you. Do, anything you want to plug or any, anything you want to, uh, let people know to do to connect with you or to check out your work?
4: Yeah, that definitely. That, thanks for offering that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Cincy biz, uh, Cincy with an I biz with a Z or go to the, just Google Cincinnati business courier, Chris Wetterick, and you will find my stuff pretty easily. So.
1: it seems like if you own your railroad um it makes sense to hold on to it to me just knowing what you know what kind of power and and control the railroads have over those um those rights of way that like once you lose that it's very hard to get um it's it's just hard to maneuver you know once you don't own it so if you do um if you do own it, then you have you're sort of in the seat of power, right? I
2: mean, it's the same thing. It seems like the same thing as when cities uh, sell off to a private company their uh, on street parking and things like that to allow them to do it, and you lose that control that you have over a really important public right of way.
1: Yeah, I was just I was just going to say, you know, having worked on projects where where we deal with the railroad often um it you know it it can you can spend a lot of money in just negotiating small moves and maybe maybe big moves but you can spend a lot of money in sort of working through the details and negotiating through uh making things happen across those right-of-ways right um so the the question is is you know if you have a lease that's 25 million and that's guaranteed, and you own that right of way. That seems pretty valuable to me, you know, yeah. Uh, because because you you're in the driver's seat,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we covered it in the interview a little bit, but I, I mean, to me, it's just like that uh, bird in the hand; is worth more than the bush. I mean, who knows what the markets are going to do? I mean, they've got they've got to make enough money, you know, annually to sort of uh, co- cover. Like the the financing expenses and I mean it just there seems like there's a lot that could go wrong you know like um and then with that added benefit that you guys both brought up of like we we actually can do projects around and near this or across this in a way as the owner that would probably be a lot more complicated um you know than than if if, if the railway owned it you know frankly because honestly, you know, those guys have a a motive to make money for their railway. It's what their shareholders want. It's what they do. You know, they they are resistant to even simple things like in Louisville, as we look at like how divided and disconnected um, our city is, uh, you know, CSX, which owns a lot of this right of way through our city, they get to impose their own rules about what and how, you know, what we do with that. Like they have a rule that we can't have an at grade railway Unless we uh, an an outgrade railroad crossing, unless we take away three other at grade railroad crossings somewhere else in the community. Now that's a rule they made up. This is this is based on federal like recommendations that you don't want to like add a bunch more new at grade railroad crossings, but this is not a federal rule. This is a rule that came from The people that don't want to have to spend their time and resources thinking about this, even though in their rule book they say the city would have to pay for it if you did do that. So there's just, you know, they're resistant to these kinds of things and these kinds of reconnections. But in cities like Cincinnati, in cities like Louisville, and in cities all across, you know, this part of the world, I mean, to to sort of undo some of the disconnections that we've made to our cities, uh, we're going to have to start thinking about being able to get people on bikes and pedestrians and cars, you know, back across railroads and places that, you know, the railways might be resistant to. But, I mean, we see that uh, there's a project here, you know, on on Preston that I would like to see that happen, uh, probably other places. But, yeah, I mean, the the freedom to do what you want with with your city, I mean, that seems like a, um, you know, not a great thing to give away. Um, in, in a deal like this. But I mean, it looks like we're running up against the, uh, the end of another uh, City State hour here. I'm definitely come um, lodge any of your complaints, uh, criticisms, uh, wh- whatever you got, throw it at us at underscore City State on Twitter. Uh, thanks to the Smacks for our great um, theme music. And um, yeah, thanks to Brian and Chris uh, from Cincinnati for um, jumping on. Definitely there's gonna be probably more talk about Cincinnati um, in our future. And uh, we will see you next time. All right. Later, you guys. See ya.